0: The Bear Down Report Podcast, featuring Brendan Chagru, Jack Wright, Logan Bradley, and your host, Ryan
1: Dangle.
2: All right, folks, welcome to a very special edition of the Bear Down Report podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Dengel, and I've got Brendan Shagrew here. Uh, Brendan had an amazing opportunity, and I'm going to let him talk about who he had to to sit down with. But folks, before we do that, we just have to give a quick shout out to Jeff Cadwallader. Um, If you're thinking about buying or selling a home this year, visit genevajeff.com today to learn more about how Jeff Cadwallader with App Properties can help you. Jeff knows you need experience when it matters most, visit genevajeff.com or give a call or a text at 630-254-4734. If you're thinking about a haircut, folks, that's right, a haircut. Sheridan's Barbershop, located in historic downtown Wheaton, Illinois, been serving the community for 67 years. Five barbers open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Appointments are available online or by phone, sheridansbarbershop.com or 630-668-0137. Sheridan's Barbershop, where traditional meets modern. Brendan, I... I'm so excited that I got an opportunity to listen to this before all of our listeners did, you know, quick question. First of all, you got to tell us who you spoke with and were you nervous at all about having this interview?
0: Yeah, thanks, Ryan. So first off, if you're, if you're listening to this, you probably see the description. Uh, It is Eric Kramer, uh, former Bears quarterback, former NFL quarterback, and uh, who had a really nice 10 year career or so in the NFL with the Lions, the Bears, the Chargers, and then of course had some uh, really just heartbreaking, heartbreaking stuff, uh, losing some family members. He attempted suicide in the mid two thousands and kind of his road back. So, um, yeah, I was, I was nervous I've interviewed not to not, not a flex or anything, but I've been able to interview past and current players, uh, which has just been an awesome opportunity for me, but with Eric, it was, there's a lot of ground to cover and there's there's good stuff with his playing career but there's also really sensitive stuff and it's so hard to kind of you know if you don't know the story we'll we'll get into it a little bit but i en- really encourage you to read up on it about like just his suicide attempt why he wanted to do it and coming back from that so i was trying to figure out how to broach that subject with him and cuz i really wanted to understand what was going on and when i sat down with him uh, the first thing i said was hey you know, if there's any sensitivity topics, whatever, like if it's too much, just let me know. He's like, well, I can tell you right now, everything's on the table. I'm an open book. I want to talk about this. So I was like, okay, that's really good to hear. And uh, yeah, we split this up into two parts, Ryan, because <laughs> Eric talks, he, he had a lot to say, which was so great. He's an incredible storyteller, but there was no way to kind of do this in two different segments. So the first part that you're going to hear now it really focuses on football. So we talk a little bit about the current Bears, his thoughts on Justin Fields, and then going back to his playing career. What was it like to be the quarterback for the Lions, the last quarterback to win a playoff game, which I said makes him the best quarterback in Lions history. <laughs> and then of course going with the Bears uh those seasons in the mid-90s and then of course having his career ending injury with the Chargers. So we go through all that. And then part two, which you'll hear later, really dives into mental health, his depression and kind of what he's doing now.
2: Brendan, uh, we're going to go ahead and play the interview uh, for all of our listeners. We're going to, we're going to sign off at this point. Uh, So folks, if you like what you hear, please hit subscribe. If you really like what you hear, uh, please hit us with a five-star review. It really helps to widen our audience. If you want to read more, make sure you get uh, after Brendan uh, on Twitter, as well as Bears Wire. I know he wrote a really awesome piece about this interview. So folks, you got to make sure that you check that out and we will have the the second half of this interview coming up for you guys very shortly. Shortly. For Brendan Shagru, I'm Ryan Dangle. Thank you so much, folks. And as always, bear down. All right. I am very excited to be joined by a very special guest. He
0: is a former Chicago Bears quarterback, the single season leader for passing yards and touchdowns to this day. He's also the host of a fantasy football podcast, Kramer and Burrell Fantasy Football. He is Eric Kramer. Eric, thank you so much for talking with me. First off, how are you? How are you doing mentally, spiritually, physically,
1: all of that? All the above, I'd say check the, check the box for 10. So all, all right. good. Everything is going great right now. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Great to hear.
0: So before we kind of get started with your playing career and everything, we were kind of first introduced because you were at the uh, Bears' first preseason game a couple of weeks ago against the Dolphins. Yeah, right. uh, so how was it being back at Soldier Field?
1: Great. I mean, I've been back there hmm, a handful of times, at least five or six uh, over the years and probably more. And um, so I was like coming back, but typically um, I wouldn't have been at that game, but the Bears alumni golf outing, which typically takes place in mid June every year, uh, got canceled in 2020. And then this year's got pushed back to the, the Monday after that game. So it allowed me to come out there Friday, go to the game on Saturday. Um, had a bunch of friends and people there that I'm still connected to. So we all went out to Harry Carey's afterward. Uh, took a little tour Sunday morning of um, uh, the United Center. Couldn't get in Wrigley because I think they had some event going on there. But um, uh, the friend that uh, – one of the friends of mine, um, him and his wife, their youngest son, Austin – uh, was moving in that Sunday into a two-bedroom place over on Waveland, right right uh, just beyond the left-field wall of Wrigley. So we went and checked that out for a little bit and then had uh, a little lunch across the street. I forget what that's called, but, you know, just outside the left field uh, of the ballpark there, it's got that little – I don't know what you'd call it, but it's got like a little turf field and a big screen. That oh, yeah, game. Gallagher
0: Way. Yeah, that new uh... – right. Yeah, that new, like, entertainment thing they got going on there.
1: Yeah, so we had we had lunch across the street. I forget the name of it, but some little barbecue place. And then, um, actually, there was a concert going to be going on that night with Green Day, and I can't remember who else. But uh, oh, yeah, anyways, it was a right. fun little vibe around there. So, yeah. And then we, we hung out down. Um, I, I brought my girlfriend, so we hung out downtown most of the day. And then that night, that Sunday night, went out to uh, – what's it called? The signature room up there at the Hancock. Uh, yeah.
0: I've been there yeah. once. That is a, that is an awesome place to be.
1: Yeah. So we had to get a little weekend out of the whole thing and then play golf the next Monday or the next morning, Monday. So
0: that's fun. awesome. So was this your first time, I guess, like being back
1: at rig- like Wrigley field
0: area in a while, because it's changed a lot in the last like five, six years.
1: It has. I, so I want to say not this past season, but the one before, um, I had come to a St. Louis Cardinal Cubs game. Um, so the people I went with, we hung out, um, same people this weekend, but uh, I forget the name of it, but it's like on the corner as you walk across Wrigley from Wayland, whatever that little spot there is on the corner. It's got a little backyard, beer garden. So we were, we were there for the first couple of innings and then went into the game, and I, I couldn't believe how many – like Cubs fans in um, Cardinals fans in Cardinals uniforms there were in the stands. So it was a fun little day. And was, I think the Cubs won the game. So we had, we had a good time. Yeah. That's always a good time. Who, uh, so for the um, alumni golf
0: outing, I guess who Um, from your uh, former years as a bear, like who, who were some of the teammates you got to catch up with?
1: Well, I don't know if you remember, um, since it was so long ago for you, but uh, James Williams played right tackle, Big Cat. Mm-hmm. Big Cat Williams. I don't know, 350 or 60 or whoever knows. But he's kind of my like my forever Bears alumni golf partner. So um, that's typically his one round of golf per year. And uh, <laughs> so we had a good time. And then um, the guy that I had mentioned before, Bruce, um, he Last time he couldn't play a couple of years ago because his knees weren't good. Now he's had two knee replacements, so he played as well. So we had a great time, man. And uh, I saw Jerry Fontenelle was a center mm-hmm. back then, and he's probably lost there. He he's probably lost a third of himself. So he's down maybe I don't know a couple hundred pounds, maybe two ten. Who knows? But he looks like uh, he looks like a decathlete now, and um, oh, wow. so anyway, there, it was fun catching up with a bunch of people that I've either played with or maybe had come before or after that I've known for a while. So that was—it's always fun to get back and reconnect. So it was fun because they always have like a um, an awards slash dinner afterward, which of course we won nothing again and never will, but. Uh, <laughs> It was uh, it was still a lot of good time, you know. And Steve McMichael he was there to begin with, and oh, um, he was he was there he was. This,
0: the couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, wow.
0: Yeah. How's he? Uh, yeah. How's he doing?
1: Well, I mean, as you would expect, it's difficult seeing him in a wheelchair. Yeah, um, but there was a time when there was a uh, when I was playing. There was a uh, like a Bears wrap up show that Corey McFerrin used to host. Mm -hmm. that i was on along with uh mcmichael and so um he had a crowd of people around him so i didn't really push my way in to go say hi but uh he seemed like he was doing well generally speaking that's that's good
0: yeah that was i mean knowing uh, you know obviously i was a little too young to see the 85 bears but knowing who Steve McMichael is and the presence he's had among Bears fans and, you know, around the town, just how outgoing and how personable he is, just hearing that news just crushed so many people. So, but it seems like, yeah. like you said, his spirit's still there, which is which is good to hear at least.
1: Yeah, very good. And so, you know, some of the guys from that team were there. Richard Dent was there and um, Kevin Butler. Um, and I'm trying to think anyone else off of that 85s. Bears team I, oh um Mike Hartenstein saw mm. him and um you know the numbers I'd say over the year well Hilgenberg was there of course hosting it and um but I think the numbers in terms of as guys get older they come less and less right. so um, but it was still a great turnout it was, it was a lot of fun good that's good to hear All right. So
0: we're going to take it back to the beginning a little bit before the, before your bears days, I really want to hear about your time with the lions. I know you only spent a few years there, but you were the last quarterback to lead the lions to a playoff win. So is it fair to say you are the greatest quarterback in lions
1: history at this point? (laughs) (laughs) Me and maybe George Plimpton. (laughs) um, Well, it was fun. You know, those uh, two or three years, we went to the playoffs and, um, uh Yeah, unfortunately, it's been that long. And even before then had been that long since any since the Lions had won a playoff game. Um, And sadly, that's still true. But, um, you know, and obviously there's this preseason game or preseason for them has not gotten off to a good start. Mm-hmm. So I think it, but I do think that at least it seems anyway that for now they've got at least what looks to be um, the long-term plan in place for their hopefully rise and the ability to stay sustained success. They got to achieve it first, but I think they had the right people in place to at least begin that process. So you're a fan of uh, Dan Campbell then? Everything he's doing? Well, it seems like, uh, from what I know, which isn't much, um, It seems like he is the first coach I've seen there in a while that is like, look, this is how we're going to do things, and you're either on board or you're not. And if you're not on board, he's fine with getting someone else who wins. And uh, like I said, I don't think it's going to translate into a lot of wins this year. I don't think they have – it doesn't seem to appear that they have the right um, numbers in place in terms of that culture. But I think his ability to maintain, build and maintain it, I think will get them there.
0: That's a good endorsement. I think, I think Lions fans would take that after seeing the last few years. So that's, uh, that's not good for Bears fans. But, you know, if you're a Lions fan,
1: good for you. <laughs> so, you know, so, I with- think there's a lot of teams, including the Bears, uh, and the lions that are just, you know, they don't have, they don't seem to have any way just yet, sort of uh, the nucleus of upfront players on either side of the ball. You know, like uh, at least offensively, with the Bears concerned. Um, you know, maybe they will over time this year, but it doesn't look that way. But uh, I think. From what I hear, the line coach is a good coach, and over time they'll have a chance to build that way. I think, you know, offensively it seems like they've got a good a lot of talented uh, people on the periphery, but obviously they, they and ha- have been lacking up front, it seems that way, for a couple years now.
0: So actually let's, sh- let's shift gears a little bit. I was going to save this for the end, but since we're talking about the current uh, teams right now, kind of flip it to the Bears – so do you think like kind of Matt Nagy has that culture with Chicago and kind of doing the same thing? Because he's had some success. He's got a rookie, good rookie quarterback. All things, you know, we hope so at least. But
1: I don't know. Are you kind of a believer in what he's doing from the outside? It's hard to say because I don't I've never I think I've met him one time at like a off season um practice. But uh it's really hard to say because like, my personal feeling is, I, in terms of Justin Fields, I didn't think he would be this far along as he seems to be in terms of he's not he's not like a guy that looks to be going from receiver number one to then number two to then number three. He seems to be processing the play before and as it's happening so he seems to be kind of fluidly moving through what he's supposed to do and the way he's supposed to do it. And he's putting the ball in places where he should be putting balls. You know, like if it's supposed to be on the run, he hits him on the run. If he's supposed to hold the, the receiver up because there's a, a defender out in front, he does that. So I think, and he looks resourceful too. Um, but I, I kind of think I would go the way Nagy's going and pace in that, one thing I saw an interesting comment somebody made the other day was in an unselfish way, um, Matt Nagy knowing he needs to win and win this year is kind of doing the best thing for Justin Fields and his long-term future and not playing him right away. What I can see them doing is what I would see someone like the 49ers doing with Trey Lance kind of similar, um, at least, uh, backgrounds in terms of head coaching, right, and both offensive-minded coaches, that for Justin Fields, I can see them from game one and on of building little packages, kind of like what Bill Walsh did with Steve Young while Montana was in his prime, building – you know, two or three series into each game to start out that might expand from there based on how he does and what, who the opponent is possibly. And so I, I can see them trying to get him going, but without the pressure of having to like the, the whole, the game, the season is on your shoulders. You know, I don't think that's the right thing to do because I do think Andy Dalton is serviceable. It's just like whoever whoever is the starting quarterback, based on how the offense is performing right now, are they really the winner of a job? You know, because you've got to be, you got to have your head in the swivel. Like we just saw, Justin Fields nearly get his knocked off, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know who's jo- – I don't know. Was that him missing a hot read, or was that the receiver or the running back running out? And he should have been blocking. I don't know, but I haven't seen Justin Fields make egregious errors like that before. So why then? So that's I don't know the answer to that. But mm, I would like to see him, and I think they're going to do this: build a little small package around him as they progress through the season. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense.
0: And a few people have suggested that. And it's not only just like a wildcat package where you're expecting them to run, but you can actually put two quarterbacks on the field or, you know, have them have the threat of a dual pass slash run option. And yeah, like it, it really, it's the best of both worlds. You get your feet wet a little bit, you kind of get that full speed NFL action, but also like you said, not the entire pressure to go down the field, and really win an NFL game. Let Andy Dalton do that at first. So, you know, there's, there's really no like perfect answer for this because the stats and like the records show that for every quarterback that starts week one, there's another one who starts week 10 or even the second season that just does it just does as well and vice versa. So uh, I guess in your opinion, are you kind of pro like it sounds like you're, you're wanting him to sit a little bit, let him get his feet wet, and then see what he can do Like later on in the season after he's kind of gotten
1: acclimated to the game. Yeah. I mean, I've, look, I've never been an NFL head coach, but name me the last rookie starting quarterback day one, period. I can't remember one. For the Bears or so just in general? In, in the history of the NFL. Let's say in the last 20 years, name one. A rookie quarterback for week one. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Burrow last year. Okay. That's good. But, and and had he not gotten hurt, in my opinion, he would have been the rookie of the year. Um, I thought he had a fantastic year. He was doing really well. Right. But Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, the list goes on of the guys who didn't, kind of ease their way in. I mean, do you think Andy Reid couldn't see and everybody there, uh, Patrick Mahomes' talent from day one? Of course they could. Mm -hmm. Same with all the rest. But And Justin Fields has it too. But the Bears aren't the Chiefs talent-wise and not the Packers talent-wise and so on. And so I think, like, you've got possibly a guy that could, could potentially be one of the top two or three quarterbacks for many, many years in this league. Why not build the rest of the group up first as he go as he progresses, not really in place of him, but with him, and then let him develop that way? Um, and then, you know, the, because inevitably there are, there's a five interception game waiting for him right around the corner like it or not. Yeah. And, and so if you can, if Matt Nagy and whoever else is influencing and coaching, um, Justin Fields, help him along with the bigger picture. Like there was a game in Canada. I threw six interceptions. Okay. But you would think after section three or four, that would be it, but it wasn't. (laughs) And so, um, I think, Being able to work with him and others on let's make sure you understand we're behind you. We don't give a rat's ass what the fans say or don't say. As much as they love you right now, they will turn on you in a heartbeat if X, Y, Z doesn't go well. And so I like the way Matt Nagy has gone about this. I'm not sure, like, anything he says, it seems – the Bears fans in the city of Chicago are like enough, Mm -hmm. but I do think he's, I'm not necessarily saying the way he's delivering the message is correct. I don't know that there is a right way, but I think he's lost quite a bit in terms of trust with the fans, but I commend him for sticking to the plan that he and Ryan Pace have worked out. And I think if they just stick to that, look, they're not going to win 12 games this year, that's not going to happen. But could they improve on last year's eight wins? Yep. Could they win nine? Sure. Could they win 10? Possibly. But now he, if, if that happens with nobody believing in them, just think that what that will do to what's, what that team believes in themselves. They don't need the fans to believe in them. They need to believe in each other. And so out of that can come – what no fan sees right now I guarantee you that and that makes
0: perfect sense because Matt Nagy has found a way to keep the locker room together through some tough times over the last few years we don't see that as fans the, the guys in the locker room do and clearly it, it hasn't like destructed or done anything like that like other we've seen from other teams so the last question I have like kind of around that like starter, or sit him quarterback uh debate I guess is a few months ago, uh, former Bears quarterback Jake Cutler went on an interview and he said he learned a lot even just being on the sidelines and seeing the game full speed and being in the atmosphere of like a road uh, stadium and just kind of like experiencing it all on that different level playing behind Jake, Jake Plummer. So I guess as somebody who played the position, do you is that like another reason? Like you can actually just sort of like take it in from the outside And there is something to be said for even just sitting on the sidelines and just witnessing everything at full speed.
1: Yeah, I would say it like this, though. Um, So out of high school, I didn't get recruited by anybody. In fact, I didn't even start a quarterback in high school. So I I started my senior year. I got beat out again by going to another school, got beat out. It was a quarterback competition, but I ended up playing safety. And so I went in with zero I didn't recruit by a soul in college. And the first year I was there, I went part-time. So I didn't declare any eligibility because they had already had a quarterback coming back. And so I literally sold Valley Cable TV. This is back in the early 80s and um, went to school. And then the next year I came back and I thought that I clearly or at least should have been given a shot to compete for the job. Well, I wasn't. So I spent the first four or five games of the year sulking and not being a very good teammate at all. Internally, I began to make a shift so that I studied in a way where um, I felt very helpful in what I was bringing to the guy who was playing so that Unlike the early part of the year when I would get my chance here and there, I would mess it up because my mentally I was not where I should have been. Later that season, when I made that internal shift, I was ready. The following year when I got my chance to really play, we were no more in the country and we were very good. Not necessarily all because of me, we ended up having we got a great assistant coach to come in as well as the head coach. My point being, I think Justin Fields can make great use of the time that he's not playing by, in practice, during the week, studying as if he were, and then being there in every possible way for if he's not playing, whoever is. So that mentally, when he gets his chance, he performs in a way that he doesn't regret not doing X, Y, Z to get himself mentally ready before. So that served me well throughout. And so later, when I came to the Lions, um, I got connected with a guy who not only was a great therapist, but was an incredible well therapist that sort of delved into um, sports psychology. Hmm. So he helped me to get my mind slowing down so that I could do what I intended to do from play to play in practice. So that when the games rolled around, I felt very comfortable and very calm in a game atmosphere because I felt that way in practice. That's the kind of thing that I'm hoping Jason, Justin Fields, everybody's their own person. I don't know what works for Jason or, what does, or uh, Justin, but those are the type of things that you can do while you're not sitting on the sidelines, you're actually preparing in the game. You're watching the game as it unfolds, as if you were in making decisions based on the coverage and this guy's body language and possibly looking this guy that way to throw that way and all that sort of thing that you can learn by watching video film of other quarterbacks in the league, maybe on your own team, maybe on someone else's team. It's a really good point. And it's it's something that I feel like he can do,
0: because especially being a backup in 2018 at Georgia, he took all that, those mental reps. And what did he do when he went to Ohio state? I mean, he let the lit college football on fire with everything he did. So, and it's really actually make a really good point or just interesting. um, I guess, realization that I didn't realize sports psychologists were prevalent really in the early nineties. I thought that was something that kind of developed later on. So that's really good to see that you were able to have that and really get that uh, ability to take those mental reps and be prepared for when your time finally came.
1: Yeah. And I, and I, I would, I think for me that what Kevin Wildenhouse is his name. And today Kevin's no longer a therapist, but he does something therapeutic. He works for Johnson and Johnson, but he's still connected with the Steelers and Kevin Colbert and them, even the Penguins. And he helps in their sort of draft pre-draft analysis and, but he just has a very good way of actively listening and then taking that, what he hears from you, and putting it into your life. Your life could include football. It might. It might not. And he's very perceptive on what mentally you might need to do while you're playing, things you might need to take in that he can you know, like as a quarterback, he would say things like, OK, let's picture that what you're looking through as you're at the line of scrimmage, as you're approaching the line of scrimmage, is you your vision sort of works like a camera, you know, wide angle, telephoto. And you might need to know, OK, here's the basic front and the basic shell coverage. Well, you also might want to look out and see, is the cornerback, is he up tight or is he out? Is he back off? Is he inside or is he outside? And then by that, what's this, you know, like he kind of pulls you out, brings you back in. So you can mentally rehearse that before plays happen. And that's kind of how you how you go from one play to the next to the next and so on one game to the next. And it sort of is a step by step, play by play thought process that slows it all down for you. So kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. I I love that line of thinking.
0: So to kind of bring it back to the lines real quick, before we move on to the bears, I got to know,
1: what was it like playing with Barry Sanders? (laughs) (laughs) Quiet. He never said a word. And, um, but when you handed the ball off to him, uh, it could be the world's greatest one yard run you've ever seen where (laughs) he gets the ball and, uh, to bring it back to the Bears. There was a play in 1990, a game I was not playing in, but it was at Soldier Field. And it's a draw play. And as he gets the ball, he gets the line of scrimmage, and it's him and Mike Singletary in a hole about yay big. And at the end of that play, Mike Singletary was on the ground, and Barry Sanders was 15 yards downfield, first and 10. It was only those two in the phone booth. Mm-hmm. And And so that's what was ridiculous about that guy is like, I remember Rodney Pete handing off to him to a a game against Indianapolis. Barry takes off around the right side. Oh, nothing there. Scoots back the other way, all behind line of scrimmage. And then before he even gets back to where the ball would have been, like he's going to go all around the end before he even gets back here, Rodney's behind, got his hands up in the air. Like (laughs) touchdown going to happen 50 yards away. And so that's what I mean. Like I was, watch, you know how they'll have like top 10 quarterbacks of all time, top 10 runs of all time, top right. 10, whatever. I remember a guy going on there and there was a top 10 running runs of all time in NFL. And one guy gets on there, you know, the lap comedians on there or whatever. And one guy gets on and he goes, well, they could have had a top 10 runs of all time and all of them be Barry Sanders. You could have had the top 50 of all time and, and they all be Barry Sanders. But he had a running style unlike anything I've ever seen. You know, he, he got compared a lot to, um, you know, Emmett Smith. Mm-hmm. But Barry wasn't that type of runner. You know, like he was not a drive it up there and get four yard type of runner. Um, it was almost all or nothing. And he would get the handoff. And I remember on a Thanksgiving game, played Denver and Simon Fletcher came unblocked, untouched. Right as Barry's getting the handoff, and never touch Barry. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Smith, same thing. Cornelius Bennett, same thing. It like every, it seemed like every week. But he could also end the game with with six yards. Mm-hmm. He could also get in the game with two hundred and sixty yards.
0: <laughs> you really didn't know sometimes. Yeah, like you said, it's like play by play. You just don't know. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So moving on from the lions, uh, you went to the bears in the mid nineties. And of course you have just that incredible statistical season in 1995, where you popped off over 3,800 yards, 29 touchdowns. I mentioned earlier, it's still the record. So what happened? I mean, like that was, you
1: know, you you had a career year for sure. What was different? Yeah. What was different about that or subsequent years after that? Oh, I guess both. (laughs) Well, I think that year in particular, um, just a lot of, a lot of work goes into every year, but I think for some reason that one, we had the right combination of people, coaches included, and it was a great system. Um, it was the West coast passing game teamed up with what, uh, uh the Cowboys had done back because Tony Wise was the former Cowboy line coach that mm-hmm. was here and, we just had a good power running game and a and a really good set of people uh, running and catching the ball. And I think it just – it turned out, like, execution-wise, it was just a hard team to stop. I don't know what we scored point-wise the game, but it was a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, we just didn't seem to have any difficulty moving the ball against most people. So then kind and of – And then after that, though, I think um, – yeah, my The first thing I think that went wrong was that in 1996, they didn't sign back Jeff Graham. Mm-hmm. And um, and then we had several injuries, mine included. And, um, and so just I think talent-wise, we didn't stack up like we did. And then defensively, I don't think we ever quite got over the hump um, with – Like, I remember taking it back to the Lions. So, Mm -hmm. in 91, we beat the bejesus out of them in the playoffs. Well, they're like, okay, enough of that. So, we showed up in London to play them in a preseason game in 92. Well, now, whatever lineman they had before, it was like 9 or 10 deep. And there was no issue for them rolling out one horse after the other. And that's kind of what, back then, the Cowboys, the Packers, the 49ers – uh, were kind of those three teams that they don't, they not only had great systems, they had great people doing it. And I think that's where as bears, as, as the bears, we lagged behind in that regard.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And you guys, you really like looking back at the records and everything, it wasn't like bad. You guys weren't bad. It was just, like you said, lagging behind some of those elite teams and it, it's hard to play catch up after that.
1: Yeah. I mean, like, okay, in ninety five or sorry, first game in ninety-six, we beat Dallas on Monday Night Football. They just won the Super Bowl the year before. Mm-hmm. And but then we lose three in a row. And and so that's what I'm saying. We just couldn't um maintain that level of consistent execution and intensity, it seemed. You know, we just didn't have uh we didn't have the instant turnaround playmaker. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. Charles Haley, Deion Sanders could turn a game around in an instant. Um, and if you look at it, we, we had to be very methodical. Uh, there was a game in 95 where we lost to Green Bay there. It was like 35 to 28 or something like that. So we had no, we had no problem scoring, but we would take a 14 or 15-play drive, kick the ball off. And in five plays, you know, uh, the Packers were, what's the song they play when they score a touchdown? Um, oh my God. I know how it goes. I don't know the name. <laughs> we of it. heard I it a bunch it. that day, oh. but it was like, it, it like nobody had issues moving the ball up and down the field. And I think we'd never had quite the combination of score snuff them out mm-hmm. score snuff them out. That just, it didn't happen. And I wish I knew the answer to that, but, uh, if I did, we would have done it. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> so, last Bears question, real quick from that era. You know, Dave Wanstead kind of gets like a bad rap for just being, you know, a mediocre yeah. coach and everything. We, he's he's beloved now as an analyst, and he's very yeah. outgoing and he, he provides great analysis wherever he's on. But you know, to you, how was he as a coach?
1: Fine. Yeah. Um, I think, like you said, I think, uh, I think the players at that time. Uh, did not feel like he was the Pied Piper. It was almost there was a sort of a pullback from believing in what he was doing. I happened to not feel that way. Um, even though I'm 94, I got hurt, uh, was ready to come back, but the team was winning by then. And so he didn't care. We were winning, and so on we went. Mm-hmm. but But the next year... In a way, you know, I could have gotten. I mean, there was no. The guarantees of my contract were over, so he could have cut me, traded me, whatever. But didn't. And he's like, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open this up to both you and Steve. I don't know who's gonna win, and and we'll just take it one play at a time, and whoever wins wins. And um, I thought that was fair, and some people might not have, but I did. And he never told me one thing and did another. Um, And so I respect him and he he was a defensive coach anyway. Um, So I think that, although from what I heard, he sometimes would try to dictate what the offense does during the game. um, But whatever, he's head coach. That's his right to do. So, like I said, he never treated me less than what I ever expected. So, I have nothing but good thing to say about um, Dave. And like you said, he's he went from, to me, somebody who was uncomfortable um, talking to the media who then became very comfortable. And like you said, I think he's very uh, good at what he does now.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it's just so funny because for me, that's, that's what I know him as. I, I know him as a really good analyst with, with great thoughts, great opinions. And you always hear about the nineties bears with, with wanting at the helm. And uh, unfortunately it's just kind of like right before my time, but yeah, no, that's, that's good to know. And uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, if some people had a problem with the quarterback competition, you weren't one of them. So <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think back to those times and I think, okay, like I said, there was in the NFC, there was probably three teams consistently through the 90s that were competing every year at a high level. And if you think back about the 49ers, the Packers, and um, uh ers Packers, and Cowboys, you look at the, the top down. So they didn't care what it took. They were getting that guy if it was going to beat that team. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen. So I didn't have that going on with the bears and he couldn't pull a lever and make player x appear here and I, I so i think for that he gets a if if he gets lumped into well you weren't as good as the cowboys well there's a reason for that not many were not many had jerry jones pulling the lever or at that time with the 49ers it was um uh debarlo oh yeah and and so and and with the Packers it was pretty much whatever Holmgren wanted he got Mm -hmm. um so I think that you know there's a reason those teams were for were as good as they were for as long as they were Hmm. so moving on from the Bears you go to
0: the Chargers and then you have this just awful neck injury that ends your career how hard because you always hear from players like most of them, at least you kind of like see the writing on the wall, like free agency, people aren't signing you, but you had your career like literally ended in an instant. How hard was it to kind of get over that and process that?
1: It was difficult, honestly, um, because we played a game in Kansas city in which I didn't even start. And um, I came in and played some, um, but there was not any wicked collision. Uh, And then um, so we played it on a Sunday. Uh, We fly back, no issues, Monday, no issues. Uh, Watch the film. I think Tuesday uh, was an off day. Wednesday at that time I was married, my wife and, and Griffin. And then Dylan was born in 98. So he was only a year old and, they were all up where I live now, which is in Agoura Hills. So about two and a half hour drive. So literally on Wednesday night in the middle of the night, I wake up with this, basically what I had back in 96. And, and so it was this shooting, like not, not go away type of nerve pain. And I remember getting in the car and driving myself where I could barely see over the dashboard, and I don't know what hospital I went to, but oh I gosh. went to one, and um, so it was it was there that because uh, a bunch of people were coming to that next game because it was a home game, and I remember uh, at some point uh, they had done so I'd done an MRI. And saw that I had two additional herniated discs on top of the other ones, and so um, that it, you know the first time I had it, if I'd have had if I'd have had surgery like what uh, Peyton Manning had, I'd have been over it because uh, it involved two levels. So you fuse a disc or fuse the two vertebrae, it weakens the one above and below. And so when you got four, that's, that was it. And I remember the, the doctor coming in and telling me that. And I was like, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. Cause I, I've been playing since I was seven. And, um, but that is something you figure out to, you know, like it took me about a year, year and a half to kind of get physically okay. And I didn't even, and what happened was, um, again, I didn't, I was advised really not to have surgery right away. Because the first time that the disc actually went back in, they did this time too. Um, but then as it turned out, because uh, I, I began, I went to a place where we were working on my posture, everything but my neck. And it was the best I'd ever felt. But then all of a sudden, there was a night when it wasn't the best I've ever felt. And so then in October, I think it was October of 2000, um, ultimately, I had this frame anatomy So it's still not fused, but it, it kind of took kind of, if you can picture this. So these nerves, right, these nerve openings that allow nerves to come out, um, they had to be kind of, rotor rooted out so to speak and then they didn't just sit one on top of the other they were kind of twisted this way and then twisted that way and then so on so it was kind of a delicate little procedure and they removed some bone chips and fragments and whatnot so i haven't had any issues since i doubt that i ever will um but i remember asking the doctor i go so the way you're explaining this, what if you hit one of those little nerves and he goes, well, that's why I do what I do. Uh, that's not going to happen. Uh, and you don't want that to happen. (laughs) So, and, and fortunately nothing did. And he was saying that, uh, uh, kind of like the first doctor, he's like, look, if if, if you can't pass a physical, you can't, there's never going to be a time when you can. And, um, your, your risk for paralyzation is extreme. Um, so that was enough for me.